Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. So welcome, Phil, to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Uh, do you want to tell us a little about yourself, please? Yeah. Hi, my name is Phil Hobden. Uh, I am a sales leader and, I guess, tech fanatic that's been working in the accounting and uh, countech fintech space for around the last eight to nine years. But but ultimately, I've always been a massive fan of, of, of technology and what it can do for businesses uh, and, and how it can transform industries. Fantastic. Fantastic. So as, as I mentioned, the, the standard question, what does the digital workspace mean to you? It's a big question, right? Like, you know, what is the, dig- like, for me, I think the whole thing with digital, whichever way you look at it, right, is it's, for me, it's about agility. It's about the ability to do anything anywhere. Uh, oh God, it's like that film, isn't it? It's like anything, <laughs> anywhere, all at once. Um, But it's exactly that, right? Like, it gives it gives workforces the ability to be more agile. It gives IT companies a better ability to implement faster. It gives customers the ability to use your products easier. It's all of these things for me in one go. So, like, but but the key piece for me is agility. Like, I remember mm. when I used to work on on in the banks, and we had like Citrix, and that was like that that start of that <laughs> digital work, right? It's it's a, a cloud container for what is a desktop product. Um, but as clunky as it was, and as horrific to use as it was, the ability to pick up my laptop, go into a customer's house, and talk them through their finances, their accounts. That was groundbreaking for that industry. It transformed. We didn't have to have customers come to us. We could go to them and still maintain that same level of security, right? So you mm, look at kind mm. of how that is now and where that where that's going to get to five, ten years time. It like the evolution of the digital workspace and 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 digital technology in general is genuinely fascinating. And some of the stuff that I've seen with AI um, and implementations of that especially in my world around the sales piece is just like mind-blowing yeah and i've just left a meeting where we were discussing something very similar um where the because everything's got apis your ability to tie things together into a custom solution has just become so much more easy to do for anybody not just a technical person but you know the the sort of low code no code evolution or revolution is allowing anybody who's got half a, an understanding of what they want to achieve to go and play and deliver something. It might be rudimentary to begin with, but it starts off, you know, the, the, the solution to a problem. Well, I always, I, I, I do a piece where I talk about our ecosystem and, and, and how the accounting tech ecosystem has grown. And I was related to Apple. And I like, if you remember the first iPhone, I don't know if you ever had, but yeah. I had the first iPhone in 2007. It was crap. Yeah right it was it was crap <laughs> it barely made calls it was on 2g or edge as we call it in yes, the uk yeah. um yeah. it it didn't have apps on it it or third party apps at least it was it did a few things but 
not very well. It looked great. It looked revolutionary. But in reality, it was a, a it was an MVP of a product. Now, flash forward to the second iPhone, the 3G. And if I remember rightly, and I think I do, like Apple even gave you discounts for trading in your old iPhone, your first iPhone, because even they realized that it was limited. So you got yeah. money back for trading for, for taking it back. Right. And upgrading. Um, and that first that that second iPhone, it had an app store. It had so much more you could do with it. And and that, for me, was the journey. That was the decision that made the iPhone, I think, probably the ultimate convergence tool, right? It's a phone. It's Mm. a calculator. It's a spirit level. It's a podcast player. It's a music player. It's my email. It's my internet. It's my camera. It's everything. It's everything, right? Now it's my wallet and where I store all my tickets. I'm going out tomorrow to a theme park and my tickets are on my phone. It's like it's all these things – but it was that it wasn't the phone that was the game changer. It was the API and Apple saying, actually, if we allow other people to play in our sandpit, even a little bit, and even within that very Apple controlled way, we can make our products so much more essential. And that framework has fundamentally affected everything since it's, it's affected all forms of technology, right? Like if you look at zero in my space, not my space, zero in the space I work in, I should say. Um, you know, like like they delivered an amazing piece of accounting software, but it was the apps and, and everything you could do around it that, that made it far more more rounded. And yes, of mm. course, you can build all that, but when you're a small company, where do you put your resources? You want to put it on your core product. So mm. that's what Apple did. They put it in their core product and they allowed other people to come up with the great ideas. And if they liked them a lot, they bought them, like Siri, you know, that Siri yeah. wasn't invented, it was bought. Um, and that to me is that to me is that that API journey where like anyone can build an app now. Anyone can build a bit of technology. Anyone can plug into something and take that data from it. And that's the that's the real advancement in technology over the past 15 years. And I think that's what people people look at like technology like like VR, AI, they look at like like all these technologies that have that that they say change the world, but for me, it's it's the um it's APIs. It's the ability to 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 have that common interface where you can talk to people, get data, develop against software, and develop against data, and make something really special with it. No, you're so right. You're so right. And uh, uh, to be honest, I've never actually looked at the zero interface. So I can't really visualize what you're saying, but I've just switched from one provider to another provider. That would be a competitor to zero and the one that i went with and the one i'm changing to i can already see there the sort of evolution and difference um because the one that was built before was obviously homegrown product and the other one's been around a very long time but they've and they've got the budget to to change things so they've come up with a really nice slick modern thing and i was just looking at the onboarding experience um i i kind of had this expectation when i signed up that i'd like to sign up and get a username and password there was like a a very rich workflow like as you answer all these questions it starts to like putting together like you feel like it's putting together your solution for accounting so by the time i got my actual interface my dashboard it had all the stuff in that i was looking for and i just thought that was such a slick experience and that so that so that onboarding piece has become and this is the apple thing as well the end-to-end thing it was always like the box was good the packaging was good 
the phone was good. It was nicely wrapped up. You felt like you're opening a present, all that oh, stuff. Honestly, I cannot, I cannot tell you how much satisfaction, not so much now because it's not yeah, the such thing now, but like how much satisfaction pulling that, like, like that, box off of the top of the other box on the iphone it makes a little sound when it pulls up it just goes pop and yeah, it's like yeah yeah oh. i like then you unwrap it and then you got all the bits that and like like it's it's that fully realized journey and that's what i love like yeah. within tech is that for, like there is no better experience in life than an apple than unboxing an apple product right it's just other people have copied it and replicated it but an apple product unboxing is just it it feels like at least Apple of old, and I don't think Apple are the same company anymore by any stretch. But I think Apple of old, it feels to me like almost as much time went into designing the box and the packaging as went into the actual product. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, right? Like stuff like that is is so undervalued in terms of like when people think about that experience. But the first, you know, probably the first. 10 times I unboxed an iPhone, I still got that same excitement. Not so much did, anymore. Did, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think now it's become a commodity to, or you just, you know, it's, it's a human thing. You kind of get used to it, so you stop caring. But do you still keep the boxes? I, I do, but for two reasons. One, um, because I'm a big fan of reselling my tech. So yeah. I, like, I either donate down, so usually my daughter will get, a cast off or I'll, I'll sell it back and generally if you sell it back in the box you get more money for it um as long as it's in good condition but i i do i do keep the boxes of my apple products they're in the loft in a in a box of apple products because just for that experience right just for that that thing where it's just a nice thing to keep yeah and i can't so that's put a- it in the recycling it just feels wrong and and, and that's why i asked the question because it, it it's the box is almost as pretty as the product yeah. Um, and you don't want to lose it. Like, I feel, you know, I bought this, this Mac that I've got here. I bought it back in South Africa. So I wasn't going to bring the box back with me. But I actually had emotional issues making that decision <laughs> because it was like, I, I like the box, you know, and, and you know, it's just not a practical thing to bring back because it's because of the way it's packaged and the way it's been built. You can't, like, it's not space. No, you, you, you can't put stuff in there, really. I mean, it's it's, you know. It's just it's, the way it is. You have to but, take the box apart to be able to use the box, but you don't want to take the box apart because that's part of the, that's part. Yeah. Like, could it be thinner? Could it be more, could, could it be less of an experience? Absolutely. Um, should it be? Absolutely not. And I, did you see recently like an original iPhone boxed and unwrapped went for, oh God, I think it was like 20 or $30,000. Um, wow. I'm gonna have to Google that now while we talk because, like, yeah. like, but it's like that's that's a phenomenal um original iPhone auction. There you go. Um, first, oh my god, it's actually more than I thought. First generation Apple iPhone sells a, a US auction for a hundred and forty-five thousand wow. pounds, and that was the original wow. four gigabyte model. We, uh, which was quite rare, apparently. Originally bought for six hundred dollars. Still in its factory wrapping and in exceptional condition. Wow, that's madness! Can't believe that. I know it's insane, isn't it? Like for a a a phone which nowadays would be almost unusable. Yeah, unusable, right? yeah. Paperweight, yeah. 
No, I mean, and it's and it's funny um, in some respects because uh, who was I chatting to? Um, we were saying, you know, you used to go through a stage where you had to upgrade every time a phone came up because it had so much new stuff. Now it doesn't. So now you're like every I'll do like odds and evens. I'll do odds and I'll do evens. Um, and because it's it's only incremental improvement. There's not there's not much really majorly different. And the biggest thing that's actually driving the upgrade for me is battery. I'm finding yes. the battery is still a big problem. I mean, they've made huge improvements, um, and I'm quite interested to see when they when the next version of the AR headset comes out, what that price is at. Because I think three and a half grand is a bit heavy. A bit the watches, <laughs> yeah. Well, a bit stupid heavy. Uh, but the interesting thing for me actually is I've always had the watch without the three G or four G SIM in it, um, so it's always been a dumb watch in that respect. It needs the phone to have connectivity, and I'm actually looking more and more of having the watch with the built-in SIM and using the phone less because most of the stuff I do is a phone, it's a your phone call or, yeah. it's a, or it's a it's a calendar invite or calendar thing. I don't really want to keep using the phone. Um, and I'm wondering like, where are we in the sense that the watch is going to surpass, it's, it's almost going to catch up in, 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 uh, to an extent that you don't need a phone anymore because it has a SIM card. It has your, you have your headphones connect to it. You can do your podcasts and listen to your music and that on the watch. Uh, and then you just have the and you just have the headset. Um, it be, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. Um, actually, my watch is a one that you can put a SIM card in. I've I've never actually bothered. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's a it's a it's a really interesting thought. I think you know. The bat. You're right about the battery. That's probably what drives me to upgrade as well. Um, I used to be. I used to get every iPhone every year, and I genuinely would buy every one. Like, and I did that through probably to the iPhone seven or so, yeah. and then at that point, it did become far more incremental. And actually, as the software became easier to install on older phones the need to upgrade the phone for me became less. So now I've gone every other year. If the mm. battery was better, in fact, the, only, the, the one thing that would drive my next upgrade would be USB-C is, is an mm. interesting thing for me because I hate having, like most of my products will have a USB-C. But then, Again, I look at my desk. I've got a, a, a magic mouse and a magic keyboard, and both of them are lightning. So actually, if I did that, I then need to have two cables. And like the whole—it's a fallacy that wireless charging is a thing, right? Like, like any time, like Apple, are like, oh, we're going to get rid of all the ports and just have wireless charging. I know Apple are a great fan of driving innovation and driving change. Like they took the headphone socket off of the off of the iPhone, yeah. right? That was, you know, that was a controversial at the time so i could see apple doing it but i think the problem is wireless charging isn't ubiquitous enough yet like i can't walk into a coffee shop and every table has a wireless charging point on it you know yeah. i can't walk into a mcdonald's and every table has a wireless charging point if it did it's the same as electric cars i think the, the, this fallacy in the uk of of no diesel or petrol cars from 2030 or, or, or whatever it is, is a lovely idea if we lived in South Africa or somewhere where there was the potential to do it. But in the UK, I look on my street, there's parking on one side of my street, which is the other side of my house. So that's no yeah. use. 
You could charge a lamppost, but we've got three in our whole street. I've got a garage that doesn't fit a car because the garage was built 70 years ago. So I've actually got no physical way of charging my car in the same way that I would have no physical way of charging my phone. Now, you put wireless chargers on trains and some trains do, some newer, um, I think, Mm. LNER trains do. But you put wireless chargers on trains and put them in coffee shops and, and places like that. And then it can potentially be a fit. But yeah. at the moment, it's it's a nice to have, but it couldn't be the only way of doing it. In 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 the you know, electric cars are lovely to a point, but I need one that goes more than three hundred miles and whose battery is gonna not degrade after two years to the point where it's now doing 190 miles. Because mm. I could do that in one trip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you've, you've touched on a few things there. I mean, I remember being in a Starbucks in um, near Strand in London, and they had the wireless charging on the tables. And no matter what I did, no matter what angle I was at, my phone never charged. So it, it, it was already like a, a friction experience um, yeah. for that. And and I think wireless charging, like even in the cars, is great. Like like the car we just bought now doesn't have it, and we used to have it. And and I've noticed like like just that being able to put the the phone in a certain position and know it's charging, versus having to plug it in and know it's charging, it it does work on your your thing. So those are little things that you know, the conveniences as you, as as, you, as you're suggesting. And I think electric cars, I think that's going to have the same problem. I mean, we have a, a neighbor that parks her car in the middle of the area because she can't get her charging cable close enough to her car otherwise and it disrupts everybody and you know it's kind of all what's the benefit then because you've, it, you you might be saving some money on your charging but uh, you've disrupted the whole traffic flow of the area so you know, you're losing all your neighborly um friends uh because you disrupt everybody else so i think there's always going to be um i guess my point is there's, there's always going to be a, a trade-off um to these things but yeah, uh, not so much a value-driven thing. It, it's it's got it's got it's got to it's got to meet somewhere in the middle, right? It's like AI. AI is a fantastic tool, and it is going to change the world. Genuinely, it's going to change every facet of the world. I use it more and more and more. Like yesterday, yep. I wrote an article, and because I'm a, a little dyslexic, I sometimes struggle with just having everything written how I'd like it. So I put I put my article through ChatGPT and I, I'm just like, could you please just, I always say please, I'm really polite. One day the robots are going to come and kill us all. I want them to think, that, well, that guy was actually nice to me. Um, I'll do it, I'll kill him last. Uh, but so I was, I was like, <laughs> I was like, could you yeah, rewrite, uh, yeah, ensure the grammar and, and, and English is correct in this and it just polished it up a little bit and, and that's fine. So I think, I think a tool like that is going to, fundamentally change the world but it's not gonna it's not gonna take over it's not gonna replace people and anyone that thinks it does is probably the same type of people thought email was gonna take away their job and you know when the fax machines died and you know that mobiles were gonna take away their jobs and it doesn't it just the, the workplace just evolves right it evolves digitally and you go on and you learn those new skills and and as i get older it's one of the things i'm conscious of right i know what my parents were like and my parents were you know my dad you know could barely use his phone i don't ever want to be that person where i'm sitting there going 
I actually can't use that. I'm I'm now kind of my dad. Yeah. Don't want to be doing that. Yeah, that's a that's a scary thought. So I want to I want to make sure that like like I think the way to the way to make sure you're not replaced by technology is to embrace it and keep up with it. I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I actually allocate you know personally two hours a week just to looking at technology. Um, yeah. And, and not just for the sake of it, but you know, I've got I've got a list of problems that I'm always trying to solve, and I'm looking what's out there. Um, you know, because you'll have your tried and tested the things you always go back to. So, you know, for me, like WordPress is a good example. Of that there's there's always a if you going to build a website, or well, why don't you build it in WordPress? But you know, you've got Shopify now. You've got um, the, the other ones um, that 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 are doing really good stuff as well. So you can't just default to um, to WordPress every time. And I think no. it's the same with AI. There's there's so many AIs that are coming out that you know you've got to you've got to spend time. And and, and you were lucky in the sense that if you go look on LinkedIn and you and and you search AI, there will be people doing the research for you, saying here are the top five or the top ten at this point to do these things. Um, all you have to do is go look at them, so you know what they do. Um, and and to your point, so you become skilled up um, and not left behind. Because I think that's the biggest problem for a lot of people. They're going to be left to, so far behind because they just aren't doing a little bit every day. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it is, it's incremental gains, right? Like, I, I, I was always taught that it's not about making a 100% change every day. It's about making a 1% change mm. every day. And over the course of a year, that 1% becomes exponential. But it's actually impossible to, you know, you, you, can't, you can't go into things thinking I'm going to fundamentally change everything I do all the time. What you, what you have to do is think I'm going to change a little bit every day. Yeah. Learn a little yeah. bit more. Embrace a little bit more. Try a little yeah. bit more. And yeah. that's where you get that kind of much more. And that's what I talk to my teams about. It, it's, it's about like, you know, if, if we're doing 20 calls today, well, let's do 21 tomorrow. Let's kind of like yeah. try and push it just that little bit more every day, or let's let's have a, a slightly better conversation. Let's whatever it is. I think that's that for me is, is is one of the key things. I think I think the whole general tech space is the, the way it's evolved in the last fifteen to twenty years is so fascinating, um, and like I can only imagine what if I I was. We were arranging, this is relevant, we were arranging a reunion for our high school, right? Like, okay, it's yeah, been, yeah. It's been, wow, fair. I left in, I left high school in 1992, so it's been a fair few years, right? And we were starting to arrange a reunion. And I was just reflecting back on that time, even in 1992, you know, what technology, what the world looked like. And, you know, we were using analog video cameras. We were using, using, there's no, might have been car mobile phones, but yeah, you had to be bloody rich to have one. You know, there was advent of pages, a technology that, yeah. that never really lasted, right? Video editing yeah. was done analog. You'd, you'd literally copy from one tape to another, and that would be how you'd make your, 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 your master. Or cut film. You'd be cutting yeah, it or cut film. Yeah, together. or cut film. Yeah, or audio, like again, it was it was an analog process. There was no digital files. You did it on a tape. You know, in just that, sh and then you look, then you kind of reflect back and go, well, what was it like thirty-one years before that? And you go, blimey, thirty-one years before that was was like the fifties, sixties. You know, and like 
it was even more simpler technology. And you th- so like like where we've come in in such a short space of time is unbelievable. Like look at computer games. I I still occasionally play a retro Spectrum game on a computer every now and then because Spectrum was my jam growing up. I was a great Spectrum fan. Went on to the Commodore Amiga. Um, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. then went on to PCs. I like I still like some of those games. I think back then you you didn't have graphics to wow people. What you had was um, Real stories. Yeah, you had like playability. Like it was yeah. something that kept you going, kept you playing. Fantastic stuff. Um, so you, you go back every now and then, and you realise actually some of those games were really bloody hard. Um, but now you look at that game then, and then you go and play the latest Call of Duty, or you go and play. You know, the, the analog would be back in back when I was a kid. I used to spend a load of money on Operation Wolf in the um, oh yes, in the yeah. Game. yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you literally had a gun yeah. and it was a side scroller and and you'd shoot and and the equivalent to that now is is like a Call of Duty and you know you compare the graphics and they're they're night and day like but that's only thirty years of evolution. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was talking to, uh, in one of the episodes, like my kids, you know, like my son's five, my daughter's turning three soon, and. Um, like they will grow up in a world where voice activated assistants are normal. Touchscreen is the minimum. Um, smart lights and all that stuff. It's just, they'll just, they won't know any different. They won't, you know, but I, I mean, okay, my son's five, so I don't expect him to know how to use remote control completely yet. But, you know, by the time my daughter's five, we probably won't have remote controls because, no. I, I, except for the, the aged population that, that needs a remote control. But, you know, I can control my TV, uh, and it's an old TV, but I can use Alexa to turn it on and off, um, which is which is usually enough. And it, and I saw a message on it this morning telling me that the, at this time of the day, the most used application is Netflix. <laughs> so, you know, it's not far away from just saying boot into Netflix every morning at this time. Yeah. Because that's what we do. And then, you you know, if if, if if the integration gets better, and then I think this is where Apple's always been so good with, is is the end-to-end chain they own it so your experience is good because the apps that they have work well with the operating system they have work work well with their hardware but if you can get to a point that like netflix is integrated very nicely into an lg or samsung tv to the point that the ai that's sitting on the tv can actually do the things without needing um a lot of extra coding to put in for example but you could say okay every day turn on netflix at this to this 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 episode of whatever it is like i was watching this last night just start again please you know it doesn't you don't have to go and click around and find the movie you're watching and press play you just tell alexa hey just do this thing um that's what that's what people grow up with like it's and that, and that convenience factor is huge uh in, in the same token you look at what ge- what generating code is, has done now there's guys writing applications faster which means you're getting more and more functionality delivered that would have taken months but now it's taking potentially weeks and, and hours and minutes in some cases um, but it should be improving the quality of the code. So you should be getting better quality applications out, which comes back to my point in the beginning around people able to build their own solutions quicker to solve their problems without needing a lot of technical knowledge. And I think that's huge for for people's abilities to earn income without having to work a, a nine-to-five job, um, for kids to educate themselves without having to go to a, an archaic school system. Um, and all those sorts of things, and I think that's exciting to see that evolve. Don't don't get me started on the school system. 
I mean, that is, uh, you know, we 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 teach in schools, we teach algebra, but we don't teach people what a mortgage is or what a what a loan is or what APR is. Right. Like we do all of this yeah. stuff and then we expect them to, to, to leave school, go to university and survive. And it's just it it's insane. Like we, we teach we teach religious education, but a very secular version of religious education where we don't we kind of acknowledge that there's other stuff outside of uh, Christianity, but we don't really focus on it. But, you know, we, we talk about the same. Uh, but it's it's like you have to do religious education. Well, I, I get that, but it, it should be religious and social education and it should cover like all religions, like in the same way that, you know, history has to cover all history, good and bad. You can't, you know, you can't pick and choose which wars you want to, you know, it's like the education system is broken. And then we ask people to prove how well, how well, how they good they yeah, how good they can memorize it by sitting in an exam for three hours. And if you fail that exam, well, fundamentally your life is, is different to what you want it to. It, it's just rubbish. It's like, it is absolutely rubbish. It doesn't set people up for success. You know, it doesn't set people. I, when I interview people, yeah, look, if they've gone to university, that's great because it shows that you can apply yourself to get there. But I don't care what university you go to. That might break the heart of all the people that spend their life trying to fight to get a good degree. I genuinely not that bothered about where the degree comes from. I want to know you as a person you know can you hold a conversation can you think on your feet can you you know build rapport and and stuff like that that to me is worth much more than than knowing you went to oxford or cambridge yeah and and i think to a large extent going to going to those universities is more about network than it is about the actual education in some respect yeah because you can learn all that stuff uh online without needing to ever goes across the across the threshold but then those metrics all those measures are also archaic we're talking about my, my, my little is here she wrote a her master's took her three years to write a thesis and i showed her how i could just generate stuff for chat gdp <laughs> and, and she was literally not you know like shocked but but you know you can't measure somebody now on writing a thesis over three years because you can generate the stuff not all of it of course but yeah. knowledge you can get and it you know you can't it, it's everything has to change now because because you can't say and, and and you're seeing it already where they're trying to have detectors to see if you've generated text that doesn't matter um the point that, that, that has to come in is that someone has to take something that has been now gift wrapped for them apply their mind to it and and write it in a document clearly because i think that's still a skill you need to have Taking three years to do a degree may not be the, the, the right way to do it anymore. Now, maybe you need to compress it. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like, again, you know, what, what, what does education really mean? And to me, it's the, it's, you, you're showing you've got the ability to apply yourself at a high level. But, you know, if everyone, I always think that, you know, when they changed the grading of GCSEs and like they made A star A's and A stars and A double stars. And you're like, you're like, so what you affect. So if everyone has an A, 
it effectively devalued it. So they then had to create another level. If everyone has a degree, it effectively devalues a degree because the degree is no longer something that is special. Like I did a degree in media studies, right? Waste of time. Total waste of time. If I had my time again, I wouldn't do it. hundred um, percent. Yeah. I didn't really learn anything. I didn't come out of it with anything. It didn't give me any opportunities whatsoever. It was a waste of time and money and got a load of debt for it. We encourage people to get into debt, to go to university, to study a subject that isn't really relevant or important and expect them to come out the back and spend the rest of their life paying off something on the hope of getting a better, better job, which invariably they don't get. Yeah, what we should be doing exactly. is encouraging people to go to university saying, look, there is a shortage of mathematicians, um, of tech people, of engineers. And if you want to go and do those subjects, we will pay your university fees for you as long as you then yep. go and get a job within and stay at that job for five years in that industry for five years or whatever. We should be supporting people to go and study things we actually need rather than enabling people to go and spend three years to learn Klingon studies or, you know, whatever rubbish degree that someone decided is is worthwhile of three years of someone's time it, it ultimately doesn't help you in the workforce and some of the best people i know in terms of the tech space didn't necessarily come like my friend is a my friend is a um a, a, a tech guy and when we were 15 we designed a game on the zx spectrum we built a game on the ZX Spectrum was a boxing simulator called Denzel the Hard Lad. Great title. <laughs> I think that's just great, great title. That's great. And I'll we just, finished it. I'll, I'll send you a game that that uh, you'll love if you if. Oh, um, for sure. And and we finished it yeah. right. Like we we finished it. We made it. We we sold it yeah. to a company, and that company unfortunately went bust, and and it got it just disappeared into the ether of existence, and and never ever got released, which is a shame. But we did that. And now he he didn't go to university. He stayed doing that. And not many years, about 10 years ago, eight years ago, he sold a company that he built from nothing for about 10 million, which was, you know, pretty phenomenal. Um, and probably, you know, timing wise, he probably could have done more. I I went to university, I came out and I went into working on a cross-channel ferry, clearing up people's vomit and serving drinks to people, mm. right? Like, like you know, it, it didn't help me. I found my yeah. way back into technology and into the tech space through chance and through sales, because that was the side I was really good at. But, but you know, if I'd have stuck with the coding thing and, and not disappeared off on a pipe dream, maybe we would have been on that company together and we would have sold it and we both would have made 10 million out of it. I don't know. You know, you, you can't, yeah. but, I, but I do know that, that, you know, for where I am now, the degree definitely didn't help me. I think we've got, I've got, I've taken us off a bit of a tangent, but it is relevant to the tech space, right? Like that thing where anyone, the democratization of technology through APIs, where anyone can build something with data, you don't need to have formal yeah. studies. You can learn to code online. You can use AI to help you to code. You know, this is the new world we're moving into where, where it becomes a lot easier to do this. And therefore, if you embrace the technology and you embrace the change, 
You don't need to worry about AI and technology taking your job because you'll be mm-hmm. using that to put yourself at the forefront of it. Yeah, no, you're 100 right. Uh, so I've just pasted the link to the game I was talking about. I'm going to tell you, it's called Boot Fighter, which is a very South African um, thing. So Boot is brother. Um, but if you grow up in Joburg like I did, there's a certain part of town called Four Ways, um, which is where all the, um, uh, as you say, the tough guys hang out, uh, and they always look for the fight. And this is a, this is obviously a game built to mock that whole thing. But it's you can watch a YouTube clip; it's hilarious. Um, but going back to your, your degree thing, so I um, I went straight from school to university. Uh, I studied. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be an engineer, um, but not really clear on on more than that. And I didn't have the drive to be honest at that point. But I went as the, when I did my sort of assessments. Um, there was a new degree which was basically an engineering and computer science degree combined called PRIT, uh, which is an Afrikaans. Um, word there was a, a acronym for an Afrikaans set of um, what it was, but basically you were doing all your engineering um, subjects plus the IT subjects as well, and uh, I failed dismally out of that um, after five years. But I went back seven years later to finish my to finish a degree which was in mathematics, computer science, and informatics. But the reason why I'm telling the story is when I left school and I went to university, I ended up working for a company writing code, writing software which we won awards for and all the rest. And that's really where, where I you know, was really focused. So that's why the studying didn't happen so much. But when I went back to university, I'd had a career already. You know, I was 10 years down. Um, so when I went back to study, I knew exactly what I needed to know. Or I had that, that, that um, clarity of, I need to finish maths because maths is helping me. I need to, you know, I had computer science and maths already. That was the easy stuff. But I think that's the problem with a lot of these things. People go to university because it becomes such a stereotypical thing that you do. and uh, you know, we had people that have we've, since we've been to the UK that have told us I'm doing a dancing degree and I'm and I'm getting a fifty grand loan to to study dance, and you're like, but there's no there's no career in that unless you are already a good dancer. Like you, you know, you need to be a pro. And I don't think going to university to study dance is going to be the thing. Like you should be going to like a, a, a Juilliard or something like that where they, you know, that it's, sort of thing. And 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 it's, that's the money making scheme. It's people that go to university to do drama degrees. It's like, I, I, I've never got it. It's like you can act or you, you can't act. And the best way to show people you can act is to get involved in projects, get a showreel together, send it to an agent mm. and get an agent and they'll get you castings and, and everything else. If you're going to university to do a degree to act, in reality, you're going to university to do a degree to drink alcohol you know, experiment with drugs and, and everything else, right? Like yeah. I speak I speak from experience. Um, but you know, it's that thing where you're just like, you know, it's I should I, I went to university to try and get a career in the media. And it was like if I'd have actually just carried on doing what I was doing, I would have got that career anyway. Three years earlier, well, probably ten years earlier, because I never actually got to it p- properly. And I would have made much more money doing it. And I wouldn't have had debt and everything else. It's it's a weird thing. Um I think we need to I think we need to refresh the education system to focus on to focus on where the world is and and tech IT coding needs to take as much importance as some of the other subjects that we teach right English and math are fundamental they underpin everything but 
in in a modern world is learning history or geography overly relevant is studying a language overly relevant it's overly relevant to a point right but only to a point or should we just double down and actually have have a whole kind of curriculum built around technology it coding because those are the skills of the future those are the skills that will really help people um like get a career and and really kind of be in pace with where the world's going it's it, i always think it's that thing where our education system is the dinosaurs looking up at the meteorite going oh that's pretty you know oh that looks really nice oh that's looking really nice and eventually the the meteorite hits and and the dinosaurs all get wiped out and they didn't realize that they were looking at a massive threat that's where our education yeah. system is right like like anyone that's scared that they're going to lose their job to ai or technology nine out of ten like great story for my mother-in-law my mother-in-law once phoned me because she was starting up an iphone she reset her iphone and you know when you reset an iphone it comes up with all the different languages yes whenever yes, and yeah. uh welcome and, and hello and she thought she was being hacked she <laughs> thought her phone had been yeah. hacked now that's now I, I can take the mickey out of that and i still do quite often right but Ultimately, that's a misunderstanding of the technology and a fear of the technology. And whilst we have people that have a fear of the technology and a misunderstanding of the technology, then, yeah, you absolutely will be at risk because you're you're fighting against it. Where yeah. it's like, like, you know, surfers, surfers don't surf into a wave. They surf across the wave. And then when it's right, they then go in front of the wave. And I think that's what we need to do within our education system is we need to stop fighting against the change, embrace it, because otherwise we're just going to have a system of people that are very good at subjects that aren't relevant in the modern world. No, you're 100% right. And I, and I think the, I mean, I've experienced that with, with uh, various people, uh, you know, people that like just the simple things like you have apps now on your TV to watch something like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney. And they're so used to having a set-top box and the concept that there's no set-top box anymore and we don't have normal TV, you know, and, and, and it, to me, that's like, this is like fundamental basic stuff. And they, they struggle with how to find Netflix and how to find something on Netflix. Um, very simple, but, you know, from a work point of view, that's, that's where we're getting to. I mean, Copilot is coming out with Microsoft now, you know, that's going to be building your PowerPoint slides for you. So in theory, that's, that was someone's job. For a long time i mean they would you know a lot of managers are powerpoint monkeys oh my um, god please anything that can build powerpoint slides for me i've lost well, so many hours to building like like just just do you know what the one bit of ai i want on powerpoint is to just bloody align something like a button that automatically aligns everything in the middle because like even with the line even with the line sometimes it still doesn't visually work for whatever reason the logo might be slightly off center so you're like i get it so i just want a button on powerpoint that just says put everything in a nice straight alignment that would be lovely that would save me genuinely hours each year no 100 percent uh, and and you know for me it's the you know I want to I want to create five slides. This is what I want to like. I want to do this thing. This is what I want to say. Limited to five slides. Uh, use two pictures, uh, one process diagram, whatever. Like whatever it is. But but that just have that generated. Let me then tweak it after that. But I don't want to spend like I have to draw my own picture sometimes. Cause I can't find them online. All that stuff just takes time. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this all, all operates and, and comes out into fruition. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think um, I think we're uh, like, you know, again, the iPhone was probably a, a tipping point. The, the home computer was a tipping point. I think, you know, we're now at another tipping point where the next five years will push us in a completely different direction. And that's a good thing for me. It's a really yeah. good thing because, you know, again, like when when in the accounting space that I work in, when Receipt Bank came out, which is now called Dex, Receipt Bank's a fantastic app. It enables you to scan your receipts, OCR technology, goes into your bookkeeping software, you know, like the expense apps and stuff like that. OCR technology had been around for a long time, but let's be honest, it was rubbish. Um, it kind of worked, but kind of didn't. When Dex Receipt Bank came along, there were bookkeepers that were like, oh my God, is this going to put me out of a job? And the answer, because historically what people did is they took all their receipts to the bookkeeper in a box and just went poink. But actually what it did was it didn't put people out of a job. It, it freed them up to do more valuable work for the firm. So rather than sitting there processing hundreds of receipts for a farmer that doesn't know how to use a uh, computer, now they train someone on a very simple app. They do it predominantly themselves. And at the end of it, you've saved that client probably hundreds of pounds but you've saved the business hundreds of pounds as well because the mm. value never equated to the cost. Yes, yes. And it's something we do a lot of. Uh, a lot of the work we do is what's the business case for doing this? Why is it important? What's the return? It's not always returning cash, but it you know, could be. But it's the value. Is it yeah. a risk reduction? Is it productivity enhancement? Is it um, we're adding ESG now as well? Um, we're finding that's become quite important to to those decisions. And, um, you know, when you're doing it for a one, one person at a time thing, it doesn't normally have the value. But if you're doing it for a couple hundred, couple thousand, uh, then those little things become big things. Uh, and that's gets back to your point about the sort of 1% improvement every day. Uh, it's the same thing. You can get that com compounding effect. Yeah, 100%. Great. So if, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way uh, to get in contact? Always, always on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is probably where I spend the majority of my life. So uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm just like Phil Hobden on LinkedIn. Really simple. I don't think there's very many of me, but you can't miss me. I've got a big bald head and a grey beard. So, you know, it's uh, I stand out. But uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm always happy to chat tech with people to to listen to ideas and stuff like that, because it is something I'm I'm super passionate about. So yeah, look, follow me on LinkedIn. I I repost blogs that i do externally um around tech and sales and stuff like that and um i'm launching my own podcast uh, called the story of in october 2023 where i'm going to be talking to founders product creators authors and people that are kind of really path uh, paving and, and kind of blazing a trail uh, in the accountancy and the accountant tech space and just diving into what their story is, what drove them to where they are and, and where they're going to get to in the future. Oh, great. Well, we should probably chat on that as well then because um, value would probably fall into some of that. So that's that's uh, that's cool. Happy days. Super. Thanks very much for your time. Be great chatting. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter. 
at the DWW podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.